And we are recording with Mr. Charles Smith and uh, I guess diametrically opposed weather. You're in Hawaii. I'm in Portland, Maine, and it's snowing right now. So I don't think we could be farther apart geographically or I guess climatically. Is that the correct word? But uh, <laughs> yeah, for uh, for all future listeners, today is Friday, January 6th. Uh, 2023 at 4.07 p.m. Eastern time. And um, we'll continue our conversation that we were just having in a second. But real quick, for my audience, please introduce yourself, Mr. Smith. Well, thank you very much for the invitation to be on your podcast, Tommy. And I am a financial sociology, political kind of uh, writer with my um, own blog, which I started about 18 years ago called of2minds.com. Uh, anticipating zero audience and success, which was um, a correct a projection for the first six months. But um, I started writing about housing um, in early, you know, late 2005 and 2006 when it, the bubble was rising. And because I used to be a carpenter, you know, I worked my way through college as a carpenter and became a builder. Um, then I knew something about housing and urban design and some other stuff that I'd been writing about before. So anyways, I, I attracted an audience because I was like saying, hey, you see this bubble? That's a bubble. Bubbles don't end well. And um, so that was not too hard a call. But um, and from then I expanded into a bunch of different finance, um, social movement, um, the transformation of our economy and society that we all know we need. Yeah. That's basically my topic. And again, I guess the opposite of that is uh, what you were saying beforehand, that I cover a wide uh, a wide variety of topics. And that's not, some people compliment me on that. It is not to be complimented. It is because I have to be interested in what I'm talking about. If I, if I focus on one topic, I will beat it into the ground and then I will grow to hate it. And there is a... Uh, Less, I guess, less of a scientific variable, more of a new agey variable. But there is like a life force that drives the podcast, and I can't fake it. I can't fake interest. I can try. I can give it the old college try, but I can't fake it. And if I'm doing the 28th straight episode on World War II, I'm I'm going to be sitting there trying not to fall asleep, and the guest is going to pick up on it, and the listener is going to pick up on it the animation is not there. And I think that is what gives the podcast its flavor and its life. So I have to jump from thing to thing until uh, you can't listen to your favorite song every single day, or it's no longer your favorite song. So I have to sort of navigate whatever I am drawn to at that moment. And then there are deviations to, is there a breaking news? Something is something that, you know, I feel like people want to talk about. But for the most part, I just have to I just have to sort of feel the magnetic pull of whatever it is I'm interested in. And that is what leads to the wide variety of topics you were asking about beforehand. Yeah, well, I, I think that's great. And, and we're, we're both um, we're all blessed to be alive in a, in a juncture in history with lots of different dynamics in play. So there's a near infinite uh, variety of very interesting and consequential uh, subjects. I just want to point out when I'm looking down, I'm making notes. I'm like old school, like every once in a while. And so I'm not looking at my phone to check my, you know, uh, crypto portfolio or whatever. Um, I'm, I'm I, making notes because I, I, I forget 
key phrases, you know, I would, (laughs) I used to, I would do like the first, I think hundred episodes or so I had a notebook and I would, I would make notes and I would always, I would literally say exactly what you're saying. Hey, if I'm looking down, I'm making a note. I'm not playing on my, cause you can always tell when a guest is like, you know, the phone, but they're off. Mm -hmm. They think they're being sneaky and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, dude, just, if you're finished with the podcast, like, let's be finished. Let's not do this. Give me your, I, I would rather have someone's undivided attention for 20 minutes and then just end it rather than they're looking down. They're like, oh yeah, cool. Tell me more. I'm like, dude, just smack me in the face. Just spit on me. Cause that's more, that's more court- courteous than what you're doing right now. Cause now you're insulting my intelligence as well. Um, no, you're fine, dude. Take notes. Um, but to, uh, I do think it's kind of fascinating is, uh, is the fourth turning, which is a phrase I had not heard before today, admittedly, and um, how we do sort of see these developments over cycles of, I guess, generations. And I guess there's a less formal, I've had a less formal understanding of it. And it's the whole just, you know, you the, the first generation immigrant comes over here with nothing in their pocket. They claw, either they claw to the top or they put their children in a position to claw to the top. The child claws to the top, becomes the CEO, whatever, the Vanderbilt, the Carnegie. The next generation does okay. They follow along in the footsteps. And then the third, you know, the generation after that is the trust fund kid. And then the generation after that is, you know, they wrap the Bentley around a telephone pole and then their kids grow up degenerates. But all they're not all happening at the same time they these things are offsets which is i think is probably one of the only uh not one of the only but a huge part of i guess why america has been relatively successful is we are always bringing in new people who are claw to the top because we know in 50 years the people at the top now are going to be deadbeats um could you maybe give me a more uh, a more professional take on uh, the fourth turning sure um but let me just preface that by commenting on on the cycle the generational cycle you mentioned which is we we all see it and what's interesting is there are some of the oldest um wealthiest families that are actively engaged in actually producing things <laughs> as opposed to just financiers you know rentier class skimming off of the labor of others, other people who built big successful businesses, they are. If you look at how they take care of their children, they um, often don't um, live extravagantly. They the, the 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 kids are expected to start at the bottom in in the family business, and so there's this sort of discipline of um, to limit that kind of um, degeneracy you speak of. Because if we don't have any adversity. You can't possibly grow. And that's the irony of, of trying to protect ourselves from everything is if there's no pressure, no adversity and no and, and no limits. In other words, like it's you do your best work, I think, when you're pressed for time, you don't have yeah. hardly any money and um, you, it's like make or break. You've got to do faster, better, cheaper or else it's 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 over. And a lot of my um, personal heroes uh, you know, exemplify that that idea. They, they 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 just were at the bottom, or just failed, rejected, et cetera, et cetera. And then it was like that pressure uh, forced them to move um, on. And so once everything's so comfortable and there's no pressure on you, then of course you end up uh, either degenerating or failing because you know there's no 
no uh, selective pressure if we want to speak in the language of, of natural selection or systems. Okay, so The Fourth Turning is the title of a book, and it was uh, published in, I think, the uh, mid-90s. Um, so, and the, uh, the two authors proposed um, a rather, in my mind, complex generational um, pattern, which they identified as four generations that would then repeat. And, and the generations had characteristics that, were, um, that would repeat through history. Um, similar to what the, the system that you described. Um, and so they um, mapped this uh, four generational cycle onto American history as each generation being around 20 years. So that's an 80 year cycle. And um, it's very interesting because you can go from like 1781, which is the end of the Revolutionary War, then you go 80 years, oh, 1861, start of the Civil War, another 80 years, 1941, World War II starts, oh, God. and then 80 years is oh, no. 2021. Oh, no. And so, so I, I'm less, I think it's a fascinating sociological study, uh, that book and the idea. My personal uh, preference is, is cycles that are arise from other forces that are easier to actually identify and track, you know, in the real world. Um, and lots of other, you know, writers have, have um, done uh, great work on this. Um, like Peter Turchin is a historian who's writing currently, and he, he sees cycles of order and disorder. And, and um, just to kind of summarize, he's written a number of books. Um, and he has two, who, two kind of claims. One is, he says, I am basing my cycle research on actual historical and archaeological evidence, um, meaning like you discover a hoard of, of gold or silver coins that's been buried, and then you can date them. And then if, if those periods, no, people don't bury their, their coins in, in good times. They only bury it in times of disorder. So you dig up all these caches of, of old coins and you can identify the periods of disorder where people were going, hey, you know, the armies are raging through my area, blah, 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 I better just bury my wealth. And so that's the, an, uh, an example of the kind of evidence that he um, accumulates, right? And so he, he feels this is not just some kind of theory that he, he, he feels that he, he has backed it up with historical and archaeological evidence of cycles of order and disorder, which um, he, he tends to see in roughly 50 years. So, um, and so he, he made a splash uh, in the, I don't know, maybe uh, four or five years ago by saying, hey, the next cycle is going to turn in 2020. And everyone was like, uh, kind of dissing him like oh come on you know the cycles are just a figments of imagination blah 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 and so then all this stuff starts happening um in in 2020 and not just covid but other stuff and so his whole sort of idea boils down to humans have um when uh, in good times there are reasons to cooperate you know like um and so in, in when we have more reasons to cooperate than reasons to you know, disagree and not cooperate, then, then you get a social order that's um, uh, productive. And then we run out of reasons to cooperate <laughs> and we find reasons to not cooperate and then everything dissolves, everything you know, decays because if you don't have any cooperation then you just have a bunch of warring, uh, 
interests, then um, the social order just falls apart. And so, and, and I think, uh, so that's one, one theory of cycles that's interesting. Another one is um, by this um, historian, uh, David Hackett Fisher, who wrote uh, a book called The Great Wave. And what he was doing was similar. Um, he was looking at um, data, like uh, how many people are getting married, how many kids are born out of wedlock, what is the inflation rate in as best as we can tell in, you know, 1380. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that kind of stuff. And he found that um, it, 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 there's cycles of abundance and scarcity, which is totally part of nature, right? We all know what happens when, you know, the rats discover a new dump of, of fantastic food, then you have a proliferation of rats, and then um, they, eat, they eat up the, um, the stash of great food, and then they start um, weakening and, and getting sick and dying and, and all that. So um, he, he proposes the same thing for humans. And this, of course, makes sense because the human population expands when there's lots of uh, cheap energy, lots of cheap food, the weather's good, and all this kind of stuff. And then when weather turns bad, like the mini ice age in Europe or um, in the Roman era, you know, the weather started cooling off, reducing crop yields, and then the Roman Empire starts decaying and coming apart at the seams, right? So there's that. Um, and then there's also uh, like Ophuls and um, other, other writers who talk about how the way that society um, gets um, entrenched. In other words, the entrenched interests and elites um, basically eliminate any competitor, uh, social class or economic class. And then they sort of rig the system to you know, benefit themselves. And of course that, um, that withdraws the vibrancy and vitality and competing interests that, that keep a society and economy going. So there's, um, I think if you put those, um, those together, I think those are pretty powerful arguments that humans are in fact part of nature. <laughs> and therefore we do respond to cycles of um, scarcity and abundance <clears throat> um, and inequality. Um, and uh, as, as well as the, the, the maybe vaguer or more difficult to pin down generational cycles that the, that the book Fourth Turning discussed. Sorry ever... for that long-winded uh, explanation. Oh, no, 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 no. That is, that is part and parcel for this podcast. Um, have you ever heard of cymatics? No. It's, um, I'm probably butchering it, but it's, it's, I think it's how sound interacts with matter. And uh, it's a great video. I think it's called cymatics. But it's these guys will take like, a, I don't know, like a speaker or something and they'll put like a plate on like a metal square on top of it. And then they'll put, you know, white sand or something to contrast from black metal. And then you'll play different frequencies and then make all these brilliant shapes. Like they're the and it's like, I mean, like super intricate. I mean, almost psychedelic, you know, like like a weird sort of pulsating cornea or maybe almost checkers or and it's not every sound like there's almost like static in between shapes but they do create like a resonance and it's fascinating um but what you start to see is like it's not the sand that's doing it it's it's the sound and the sand is how we see it if it wasn't sand yeah. it could be marbles or it could be maple syrup or whatever but it's a medium for us to visualize this underlying current now, where does the underlying current come from? I have no idea. Well, obviously, it comes from the sound. Why does the sound do that with matter? 
have no idea. But it kind of seems like, and this is not to shirk personal responsibility. And and of course there are things, you know, your dad grows up a billionaire and you never have to do anything. You're, you're going to be a shithead. But there does seem to be something like this underlying current. When we see these cycles happen in like the Roman Empire or the British Empire or the current American Empire, and it happens on different continents of different races of people over different millennia, it starts to feel like there's some deeper theme here. It's not the providence of, oh, those Romans or those French, they're, they're known for their cycles. No, it goes from pyramids to the Empire State Building. And again, there is personal responsibility. But when you zoom out far enough, it does start to look like a theme. This under Now, where does the theme come from? I don't know. That seems to be some sort of deeper manifestation from the coding of reality. But it does more and more look like they're just these themes that we're watching. Like they're just patterns that we are inhabiting. I think Alan Watts used to say like about a whirlpool. If you like go to a river or a stream and you see a little whirlpool, you're not looking at the same whirlpool. Every second it's different water. A leaf can come by or some grass, muddy water, clear water, snow, ice, but it's still the same pattern but everything's flowing through it. So is it the water that's making the whirlpool or is there an inherent whirlpool and it's being visualized through water? If it's not water, it could be, you know, a tornado. You see it as clouds or. So it, I don't know what it is. And I don't really know if there's any purpose to defining it, but it does seem like there are these underlying patterns we visualize them through humans and, you know, clawing your way to the top of the Ivy Leagues and becoming a, a billionaire. And then you go from the process of innovation and setting up a, a uniform oil system or a railroad system to then you move to the next layer of like lobbying Congress and shutting down your competitors. And then it finally turns into a vicious like corporate raider takeover. And then there's always like a Shakespearean fall and the next thing rises. But like, are we just visualizing these patterns? But like, uh, much like you can have an extremely low frequency or an ultra high frequency, there are patterns like my daily pattern. I, I, I get up, I go to the gym, take a shower, I do a podcast, I go to bed. But then there's also like century long patterns. And it's the, you know, the fourth turning or 80 year patterns. Again, I don't really know if there's much of a value to defining it and pointing it out. Much like you could point out like, hey, stars explode every four billion years. Good to know. Like, still got to pay my taxes. Like, I still, I still got shit to do after this. But it does appear to be that there are patterns almost independent of, of humans. And I don't really know where to go from that. Or if there is a point in me making that. But nonetheless, that's my observation. Well, I think your use of the word resonance is, is very interesting. And I can see that you, um, you come from a, a science-informed uh, 
perspective because you're using uh, terminology that I can relate to because I think like if if you ask me like what are you bringing to the table you know in, in the world of uh, of uh, blogs and writing and podcasts or whatever and it's all like okay what I think what I'm trying to bring to the table is um, natural selection is some um, and and systems um, function like at scale and variance, right? I mean, they work at small scale and medium and large. These uh, the same dynamics function at, at every scale. And so um, I think there's a lot to learn um, about that. And as you say, we're embedded in these like these cycles of history that are so long that we, you know our entire lifespan is is you know we, we're as as history speeds up because of technology, we're able to see, to actually experience a few eras in, our, in each of our lifetimes, if we have a normal lifetime, whereas, you know, somebody in 1380 or, you know, 1492, other than, you know, some big discoveries <laughs> that, that played out, it was like life just went on for, you know, decades or even hundreds of years with very little change. And so we're sort of blessed with a more exciting time. But I think your, your point about resonance is interesting because, there's another cycle that's well known called the Kondratiev cycle that's credit, you know, credit expands, everybody's starting to spend more money, you know, start new businesses, you know, everything's great, then credit starts contracting, like, you know, a malinvestment, people borrowed and spent too much money. And then the economy goes into recession or depression because credit is shrinking. And so I think what um, we might explore is the idea that your idea of resonance of these different frequencies, if you will, or cycles, when they pile up together, then you're, you know, you get a greater amplification and then therefore you can have stability, you know, destabilizes and becomes nonlinear because, you know, the, this is a, additional, you know, it's, it's, you're adding um, sources of instability. And so you could say, well, if only one cycle is operating, it's no big deal because the system has feedback and buffers and, you know, every system has, has ways to adapt to um, stress or, you know, instability, right, to, re to recover equilibrium. But when you get all, when you get a bunch of these piling up at the same time, the system is overwhelmed, you know, the buffers thin, the feedback, you know, starts maybe feeding back in the wrong direction, like amplifying the problem. And so then the system breaks down. And once you've lost coherence, if you will, um, then it's very hard to reestablish that. And so that's, that's in a kind of systems language. That's why we see nations and empires collapse is they had coherence and stability. And then they, when they had that, um, you know, buffers and feedback and um, vitality, they could repel invaders, they could deal with a drought or, you know, um, a pandemic. And then later on, after their buffers have thinned and there's more and more waves of, of um, instability hitting the empire at the same time, then it crumbles. And so, and then once that stability is lost, you can't, it's very difficult to recover. And so um, that's why we see uh, in nature, you know, you can look at populations of, you know, various, you know, animals, and then they, they rise and fall depending on a bunch of different factors around them, right? The predators and prey and weather extremes and all this kind of stuff. And so it's like, okay, so where does that get us? Like you said, from the 4 billion year cycle. Well, I think we're, <laughs> the interesting thing to me is if you add those cycles up, if you, if you see this um, 
if you see these cycles as real, which I think there's evidence for that, then you go, hey, wow, all these are piling up on us right now. Like we, we may be at an inflection point where linear turns nonlinear and stability becomes, uh, you know, reverts in a phase change to instability. And then all the, all the wonderful things that we take for granted might actually decay, um, become sporadic or go away. And so that, um, that possibility, again, uh, we can look at it like math wise and say, well, what are the odds of this? What, what are the probabilities of something unraveling on a systemic level that would really you know, mess up everybody's lives in some way? And you go, well, what, whatever you s assign it, it, it's it, there's even if it's a small probability, the outcome is so drastic that you've got to consider that. You know, it's kind of like if you had your your nest egg, your retirement, and you put it all in a couple of um, funds or stocks or whatever, and you say, oh well, the probability of any one of them blowing up is really low, and the probability of all three of my you know funds blowing up is really low, and it's all like then they all blow up, and you go, wait a minute, <laughs> that was the probability was so low, but. You can't, that's not the right way to function in life. You have to kind of um, consider the possibility and, and mitigate your risk if the outcome is really drastic, right? And so um, I, I, you, you can probably explain it better than I can about how if, if you think that, that instability is a potential in your own life, then you, you start trying to mitigate the risks, right? And that's, that's part of why we're trying to educate ourselves or learn as much as we can about um, the time we live in and these, and these uh, dynamics, because then it, that knowledge allows us to mitigate the risks in our own lives. Yeah. It's a, uh, yeah, the instability thing. It's, I bet FedEx probably has a decent amount of controls on making sure like that shit doesn't fall out of their cargo planes, but it's probably not the end of, right? I think cargo ships all the time lose the the shipping containers that happens all the time right there's a <clears throat> excuse me there's a book i think called moby duck it actually kind of sucked i thought it was going to be great but it's about this uh shipping container of uh, rubber ducks that fell off of a boat in like 1990 and they actually tracked the ducks as they washed up on different shores over the next couple decades and they mapped out uh different uh trends and climate they had no idea existed they found like new ocean currents and things and then there's almost like geologic dating some of them were pristine others were like the yellow paint was worn off and stuff but that's uh, that has nothing to do with what i was going to talk about is that you lose cargo right but then there's there's i think it's called the always never rule and it's the shipment of nuclear weapons they have to never fail but I think it's always, never, never. They have to always work. You got to, if, you, if you're at a point where you're launching a nuke, it better work. If we're at a point in 2023 where we're launching a nuke, that thing better work. You don't want to shoot at the king and then it'd be a blank, right? If you're shooting, excuse me, I have the flu. You want it to be a death shot. But because these are so powerful, for every other given day, I mean, it's been 78 years since we dropped an A-bomb. You don't want them to ever go off. We transport them all around the world. We have, I think we have like 810 military bases around the world. We have nu nuclear-tipped cruise missiles everywhere. 
you can't have those going off by accident. And when they, if you do drop one, I think Greensboro, North Carolina is where we lost a hydrogen bomb in the 60s, like a thousand times stronger than the one in Hiroshima. It's still sitting in a swamp somewhere. It just never went off. If the risk is so bad, you really do have to mitigate it to be zero. Unlike if you lose a bunch of rubber duckies and it's like, well, you know, okay, like the company is the bottom line is going to be a little lower and maybe future trust in our shipping business is going to be somewhat damaged because we might lose your rubber duckies. But that's not the same when you're delivering hydrogen bombs and the flight path goes over Manhattan. So there is something to be said for like, you do need to make sure it's the instability. If it's that great, it's zero. Um, On another tangent, one idea I've kind of been toying around with, and it's hard to, I haven't coalesced it yet. It hasn't condensed. So it's, it's, I don't have it as clear and well packaged as I'd like. Excuse me. Um, is when you look back to, I think, almost like the invention of language, oral tradition, passing down wisdom. Excuse me. I've been, I've been sick for a couple of days and normally I wouldn't give a shit, but I am in front of a highly sensitive microphone and I don't want to be like clearing, sounding like some alien digesting. Um, when you look at, look at animals that don't speak, they repeat the same things every generation. That could also be a limit on their intellectual capacity, but you don't see inventions or cultural changes shifting down from generations of cows right? Even very intelligent, the most intelligent ape, they're still doing the same thing every generation forever, right? Some might start to enter a sort of stone age like we did and through mimicry, you're, you're okay. If I pick up a rock, I can break open this turtle and get the nutrients or whatever. Then you have oral tradition where you can pass down knowledge. And it's like that quote, be sure to read books so that you can come across easily knowledge that others gained through hardship. That's why I read so much is to get the spoiler alerts to life's problems. And then as it goes from spoken language to written language, that becomes even better because now it doesn't matter if the person telling the story dies, it's written down. So now you start to compound on previous generations advancements, the agricultural revolution, the invention of the wheel, simple tools uh, like a fulcrum or a, you know a club you know forces pressure divided by area you invent a hammer you can break things open better now and then that's we're still on that linear path of passing down it doesn't look the same we would say that we're far more advanced than cavemen with a stone wheel but we're really still in that same paradigm of just standing on the shoulders of the people before us we see it with just technology the guys that invented the vacuum tube computers, they're all dead, right? The people that, you know, the Wright brothers, they're long gone, but we're still building on, there are still new versions of 740s. I think the, the last 747 rolled off a plant only, only like three weeks ago. We're still fine honing things. Steve Jobs is gone, but I'm using the newest generation iMac. So we're still in that cycle of just of just standing on the shoulders of generations before us. We're passing down 
technological advancements. We're not repeating the same thing. A cow, the cow has the calf. Hey, eat the grass, drink the water, poop and go sleep. They're not, cha- they're not changing, right? But we are. But then there is this sort of limiting factor where we are still the stupid cows. When you look at civilizations, we still repeat all the same stupid stuff. We expand, our armies get too big, we get overstretched, we get ambitious, decadence and luxury takes over the homeland, the the political leaders raid the treasury, it'll start to dip, and then like a new emperor stands up, kills all the corrupt elite, and it looks like it's going to save itself, and then it all collapses for good, and then a new empire rises. And we don't look at that, we think we're still advancing, like I have... I have glasses. I have an <clears throat> I have an iPhone. I have I have bottled water. Like a hundred years ago, you couldn't get any of this. And that is good. We are above the cows in that, but we are still stupid cattle when it comes to just 250 years. Right? We're we're advancing forward and we have new flight lines, new energy efficiency, and desalination of salt water. But we're still just the same stupid cows when it comes to <laughs> hey. There's a ton of wealth at home. No one's working hard anymore. There is no trials and tribulations. We're overextending the military. We're trying to take over the world. And in many ways, we're still as naive as every other empire. So that then brings me to a point. Will the next truly paradigm-shifting moment in biological life, like written language, or like the opposable thumb. Will that come when an empire arises and it spends, even if you had took like 10% of the Pentagon's budget and examined every empire before it, will that be a new level of empire where bubbles will be a thing of the past where the the tur- the fourth turning will be like an old relic and i don't know if humans can do that because we kind of have our own built-in limits we don't really look past 100 years cuz you're you're maybe going to get to like 80 and then you're pretty concerned about your kids maybe your kids kids but you're not you're not that concerned about the empire it's nice Right. I mean, I'm saying this ironically as I have the flag behind me. Right. But I wonder if that's what it will be. Will that be on the heels of human life extension of biogerontology? Maybe once lifespan starts to hit 200, we'll see a paradigm shift. People will now live through, you'll live through the Great Depression, World War One, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam, 9-11, COVID, and you'll only be halfway through your life. And you'll start to note these things arising again. Or is this just the limit of of what humans give a shit about? It's like 250 years and then the rest is, eh, whatever. I know that was like a like a 10-minute rant. So sorry for that uh that verbal assault, but I had to get that thought out. No, it's a it's a great thought. And of course, um it opens up like uh near infinite, you know, uh tunnels that we could follow. 
Yeah. But like we should, um, we have to mention Isaac Asimov's, you know, foundation trilogy just as a kind of a classic of science fiction and many other people have, you know, pursued the same idea. Is there a deeper pattern that, as you say, we're going to move beyond, you know, and um, when you describe um, all those dynamics, I think you're right about there being limits in, in human conduct or whatever. And I think it, um, it, it sort of combines sociology and anthropology with, you know, uh, uh, psychiatry or psychology, right? Because humans are both a herd animal, right? I mean, we're, we're, ve we're very much a tribal animal, but we're also isolated. We're, we're solitary animals, you know, we, we, so we're kind of like an orangutan in, in the sense of we're um, often, we're fine being alone and we actually need to be alone to some degree. We're solitary in terms of our, our primary interests. And, but then we're also uh, participants in this um, hierarchical tribal competition. And we also run in herds, you know, the, the madness of crowds and things like that. So obviously we have multiple layers of, of influence within our, within each human. And so, and, and this, this works, this has worked in, in, in terms of selecting us to uh, survive as a species, but the limitation is pretty obvious because while we, the, the key to our success, I think is cooperation. In other words, you identified the passing on of knowledge, absolutely key. But if we were all just isolated, solitary individuals, we would never be able to make use of this knowledge, right? So our, our cooperative skill sets um, are really the, um, what separates us um, as well as the opposable thumb and some, you know, some other good things. But um, so we, 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 we succeed because of our cooperative efforts, but we're still driven by self-interest, right? Like we're all for helping the group, but if I could just advance myself a little bit above everybody else, that would be even better, right? Because we're competing for mates, um, we're competing for resources, we're competing for power, because we're, we're just like a, a huge tribe of, of chimpanzees, right? <laughs> that there's this hierarchical battle for, um, with, with um, payoff, and then, you know, bad things happen to us, right? When we, um, when we, um, fall to the bottom we, you know we're often abused we we uh we get uh we, we don't get to marry you know we we're hungry because somebody else took you know all the good stuff so that competition is like uh, driven by self-interest and yet we also have this this um benefit from cooperating right so it, it, that tension is part of what i think we're discussing is that it's built into human nature and and it, it um it's built in because we're under multiple um, we're under multiple uh, pressures. You know, as an individual, we're we're in we're born in a tribe, and we're going to try to do our best to to compete it for um, resources and mates and stuff like that because that's our genetic heritage. Um, but we're also going to benefit from cooperating and ex expanding that cooperation. So you know, the great leaders you know, in humankind, you know, that we often look at, you know, warriors and so on, but, you know, the really great leaders expanded the empire by trade and, and co-opting mm -hmm. people's own self-interests, right? And the Romans were brilliant at this. They would, you know, go in and um, kick a little butt and, you know, conquer some territory, but they would leave it to the ruling elites of that thing and say, look, at as long as you guys pay us tribute, you know, yeah. everything's fine. And, and, and you're going to benefit because we have this massive trading empire 
So you're going to get access to a bunch of great stuff and at lower prices, you know, because you're part of the empire. And we're going to, you know, we're going to station soldiers in your area and build a lot of great stuff. And we're going to be paying them with gold. And so that money's going to flow into your economy. So it's like self-interest is, is at the heart of all empires. If, if, um, and there are guys writing like Homer Dixon and other writers who say that's why societies or civilizations fall is the average person looks at the, 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 the hierarchy and structure, the ruling element, and they go, you know, I don't think I'm, this is really serving me anymore. I mean, the yeah. sacrifices I'm making to support this thing are not worth it. So then people just drop out. Yeah. That's because it doesn't suit their self-interest anymore. And so that, 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 that's an, kind of like an interesting uh, limit, you know, that as, as you say. Yeah. The self-interest will grow. The, that is a weird thing. It's like the less you try to control the empire, the more, the more it grows, the more wildly successful it is. And then the second you start trying to like put a name on it and make everyone fall in line as it rips, rips itself apart. There's a, there's a, there's a quote, I think, and it's a, an airplane is an airplane is 10,000 parts working together. A helicopter is 10,000 parts trying to get away from each other. And it's, I don't know if that applies, but uh, it does make me think of that. Um, and then you got to think of like cycles of even bigger cycles is we're looking at the 80 year cycle who came before you. Like, you know, your parents, you probably know your grandparents. You'll probably know your kids and you'll probably know your grandkids. That's that's pretty much like best case scenario in terms of seeing before and after you, right? Obviously, there are some anomalies. And then we're bringing up, quote unquote, bigger themes, you know, of the empire. It lasts for 200, 300 years. But once you start to get to that point, let's say human life extended to 250 years. And we would probably get a pretty good grasp on the rise and fall of empires and maybe even edit our behavior to not fall victim to the themes that bring down empires. Is there just another bigger theme from that? Or we figured it all out and it's like, great, now you've discovered the Ice Age, like the, the Ice Age uh, cycles. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> oh, yeah, no, there's an even bigger one outside of that. And then you zoom out even farther than that. And it's, you yeah, know, then there's the asteroid cycle. And it's, you're like, holy, hold on. And then it just seems to be cycles and cycles and cycles. And is there much to do with that? Like, what do you do with that? Are you ultimately on the, on the, the path to become an eternal empire that survives not only economic cycles but also ice ages and sea levels and ocean acidity and asteroids like to what end does it is it directly correlated to simply how long you're alive do you i don't know about you but i don't care that the andromeda galaxy is on course to collide with us because i don't think it's going to happen for i think another another two billion years or something or two million i don't i don't give a shit i'm <laughs> It's 2023. I was born in 1990. Best case, I'm concerned with up to 2090. Best case. 
and I hope to be heavily medicated by then. I don't, I don't, I don't care about what China is doing in 2300. I just don't. I, 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 it means nothing to me. So, but there is an interesting thing. And it's, uh, I think of Ray Kurzweil's technological singularity, how things accelerate. And as you said, a thousand years ago, there are the same realities. Like you grow up learning how to use a sword and a plowshare, just like your pops did. And just like your pops pops did. And you'll teach your, and there are these, there's something nice about it. You grow up, you, you find the woman and you have the kids and you learn how to hunt. And there's something comforting and almost Lord of the Rings shire-ishness about it. It's all well and good. And now there's the blistering pace of acceleration where my upbringing, although similar to my grandparents in some cases, you go to church on Sunday, you go to school, you learn how to drive. In many ways, it's not. They never had a personal phone. Even in my life, I've gone from the flip phone to the iPhone to the whatever. When that starts to really, really accelerate, I mean, we're going fast now, but when that, when this picks up, I think that almost like the shockwave coming off of a plane, I have a feeling that our culture is, is emanating from our technology, like meme culture that, that, that comes from TikToks and Vines and 10 second Snapchats and memes come from using Uber or Facebook likes. Our society, it seems like our culture is almost like, like flames coming off of a, a, off of a burning log. It emanates from the technology. There is a culture around plowshares and swords, but when those things no longer exist anymore, we don't have the medieval knight in the chivalry. Now it's something else. So as technology starts to accelerate more and more, is there a, is there a, a secondary effect from it? Will we also have a cultural singularity where more and more wild things happen faster and faster and faster? I mean, from 20, 2016 till now feels like an eternity. From Donald Trump being elected to COVID to wherever the hell we are now. It seems like life is getting more and more dramatic and fascinating. Are we speeding up to where maybe you don't need to live for 250 years to witness a long cycle? Maybe the cycles are compressing because they emanate from technology and our use of technology. And as the technology increases faster and faster, the shock waves reverberating from it are refreshing themselves faster and faster and faster. I don't really know. And I don't, I don't know if you have an answer. I don't know why I'm just throwing that on your, your shoulders, but. No, I, I think it's, um, it is, it is absolutely true. And, um, that technology has a kind of a mind of its own, right? Like, no, we're not like some kind of, uh, there's no class of technocrats going, well, we're going to slow the advance of technology. Or, you know, we're going to, no, it just has a life of its own, right? 
And you mentioned, um, for me, one of the great examples is eyewear. You know, you, you held up your glasses. Well, you know, nobody had glasses before like 1400 um, when the Venetians discovered um, not only lens, but how to grind lenses in, in, in bulk, you know, mass produce. The Chinese had the lens technology, but it was like, like a lot of things that China invented, it was left fallow, it wasn't developed. So then as eyewear spread around the world very quickly, you know, because it was just so beneficial. Hey, I can't read anymore. I'm like nearly blind. And then I put on this, this new device and it's like, oh my God, I can see again. How fantastic. So <clears throat> when technology works, it spreads really quick um, with unintended consequences. Like um, uh, something I read recently struck me, you know, the, you, you mentioned the iPhone, the smartphone as a general generality. Well, the Chinese social credit system where they can just cut you off at the knees um, via your phone. Like you, you can no longer take money out of your bank. You can't buy a ticket on a train anymore, et cetera, et cetera. It's all because of smartphones. If you didn't have a smartphone, you could not exert that level of surveillance state. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's just funny how uh, it develops and we, we have all these high hopes for things um, like the CRISPR technology, right? Gene editing. And apparently there was, uh, I just saw as an example, there's some uh, a, a development of a cancer vaccine, which is sort of the holy grail uh, for cancer treatments. And um, apparently there is one that's it's worked on glioblastoma, a kind of brain tumor, um, at least in mice. And so you go, wow, CRISPR is fantastic. But of course you can use that same technology to make bioweapons that just kill us within, within moments, right? And so, and it's hard to control technology, but I, I want to bring up another kind of uh, thing in this whole topic, which is we, as humans, we seem to function best as we're kind of talking about when there's a bit of competition, um, there's some transparency, like everybody's getting, you know, kind of has the same information and um, there's opportunity to cooperate, like we're sharing knowledge and, and so, these these kinds of traits are what underpin like an innovative uh, culture that can adapt to whatever is thrown at it. Like you said, okay, new ice age, hey. You know? um, but if if you lose those characteristics in your in your culture, those are cultural advances, as you as you rightly pointed out. Could there be a cultural singularity? And I think we could we could argue that there are points in time when. Um, transparency, competition, um, cooperation, um, uh, availability of energy and capital, you know, so you can, you can have the money and energy to pursue a good idea. When you get these bursts of things where those things are kind of the prevalent uh, cultural characteristics, you get uh, the, a renaissance. And then when those go away and, 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 and people get rid of transparency, like we're going to hide everything from everybody because we don't want you to know how we're rigging the system, you know, or how, you know, we're benefiting ourselves. And then it, it, there's restrictions on information and, and new ideas and, and dissent is crushed, you know, new ideas. No, we don't want any. Um, then you get a decay and collapse. And so, it, to your idea, which I find fascinating, I think the cultural singularity would be a, a something like an AI, like a classic science fiction idea, where the big computer limits humanity's, um, you know, destruction of dissent, transparency, 
sharing of knowledge and cooperation, right? In other words, it, it enforces these good cultural traits and make sure that um, no ruling elite suppresses them or destroys them. That's, that's, that would be a cultural singularity, but who, who controls the controller? And it's always... <laughs> it, it, is, it is kind of funny how we have these grandiose ideas of what will this bring about? And it always, it's not just that like there's a bad possibility, that seems to be the rule. <laughs> we discovered how to split the atom and it's like, oh God. <laughs> yeah. Like a little bit. We were like, we're going to have atoms for peace. And it was like, <laughs> yeah, we're also going to make sure we put these on the nose cones of missiles so we can wipe out those other people. And it's, it's so quickly. I mean, so 14 years, I think, after the Wright brothers flew, they're like, oh, we can fly. I think the first thing was like, we're going to be able to deliver mail to, to distant peoples. Within 14 years, we were using them to over the trenches of World War One. and hey, shoot artillery there. And it's like, we use it to kill each other so fast, so incredibly fast. I mean, how old's Twitter? And we're already having the scandals about, yeah, so the White House had back-end portals and was using the FBI to strong arm. It's like, we, we barely got two decades. We barely got into it. So there is that... I don't know, but then what? What's that conclusion? So don't advance at all, and it's, well, that's not a good case either. But all of it stems from. I was thinking, why? Why is Elon Musk kind of going balls out, right? He he's definitely got fu money, sure. He's achieving everything he. It seems that he wanted to, Tesla. Uh, SpaceX pretty much made it routine that rockets now land. That's gone from a novelty to normal in just seven years, eight years. And I was thinking like, I wonder if we will look back and be like, oh, now in 20 years, we'll find out, oh, he successfully made a backup of his consciousness or something. This, this is This is out there, but just hear it out. He's kind of acting in a way that you act, you just don't care. I mean, he's he's spitting in the face of, I mean, he's releasing Twitter files on the White House. I mean, that is the, that is the modern day King's Castle, like it or not. I mean, the White House, the strongest office of the strongest military on the planet. It is the top of the top, obviously for now, but it is. He's spitting right in the face of them. 300 billion doesn't mean anything. You're in charge of you're in the White House. I mean, you're in charge of the Pentagon, 17 intelligence agencies, a multi-trillion dollar defense machine. He's kind of going out there and thumbing his nose at the most powerful people on the planet. Why is he doing that? I don't think he has terminal cancer. I don't think he has a death wish. I was like, well, well how else would you be acting? You'd be acting in a way that like I, I love playing Grand Theft Auto 5. It's a great game. The way you start acting after you've entered the invincibility cheat is completely unrecognizable from if you're just playing normally. You're taking cover. If you're in a car, you make sure not to ram into a cop car. You don't go near the military base because they'll kill you. The second you enter an invincibility and nothing matters anymore, 
You just walk into a police station with a shotgun and go wild. You can just fly a plane right into the military base. They have tanks. What do you care? You're invincible. doesn't matter. They can shoot you, light you on fire. It completely changes how you play the game. So what would you do if you successfully backed yourself up? You had a copy. You had all the money in the world. Would you not just kind of start messing with your bully? See see what their response is. But that's that's not the point I'm trying to make is what that really indicates then is all of our actions of self-preservation, cooperation versus backstabbing. It's all based on our own mortality. What if you removed mortality? Okay, so are we talking about biological longevity? Well, no, there's probably a simpler way to get to it. And it's just machine life. We don't need to perfect the human genome and ribosome proton pump decay. And No, 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 forget all of that. Just build a silicon machine that doesn't die. Well, if you had an AI, and I'm not for or against it, just an observation, that wasn't threatened. It didn't need food or water. You couldn't bully it. It wasn't... It's not worried about the, you know, the Gestapo threatening your family. How would you act? I always think that it's flawed that we assume the AI is going to wipe us out, which again, back to your point about like CRISPR, because that's what we do. <laughs> Anytime in human history, someone with advanced technology, you roll up on Indians and you've got metal armor. You're like, all right, well, we're just going to kill you every time in history. If we show up in boats with cannons and you see people in loincloths, it's just have at it. We're evil, right? So it is kind of funny. The first thing we assume that will happen when either AI appears or a UFO appears is we go, oh, they're going to slaughter us because that's what we do. But why would the AI have to slaughter us? I think that the idea that AI was, and I know this rant is all over the place, but I think that the idea that AI would slaughter us is so self-important <laughs> you know oh they're gonna take us out because we're a threat it might look at us the same way we look at a, a dirty counter you just clorox it and wipe it well you killed it all right well maybe just don't touch the counter just throw a mat over it an ai might be so advanced that it sees no need to wipe us out it has no intention to fix our society it might just go along its life like an elephant ignores ants. Or it might look at our society and, like you said, almost act like a referee. Make sure no one destroys or dominates others. Or it might just not care at all. And then it ultimately comes back to, well, then who codes it? Who gets to control it? That might be the last decision humanity ever makes is what character traits do you want in the AI? Yeah. The, um, you're, um, you mentioned, I think, in a previous podcast, uh, one of your favorite novels, which was based on this exact idea of, 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 of a AI that uh, operated on Asimov's three laws of robotics. And there's lots of other science fiction stories um, about this same topic. And, and um, 
I myself have an idea for a science fiction story in which the AI arrives from UFOs, right? Intergalactic or whatever shows up and it keeps us around because we are the entertainment channel. Curiosity. You know, like those, those bizarre humans are at it again. Look at those fools. And then um, it would be like, we're just like the entertainment for, <laughs> for AI because we're just, um, you know, always doing such um, wild and crazy stuff. That might not be a bad life, though. <laughs> no, it would be great. And then we'd be amusing the uh, super intelligence, which could mimic us, but it's kind of like chat AI. You know, you, it mimics all kinds of writing, but is it going to necessarily, you know, come up with the next War and Peace or um, Bukowski or whatever? I don't know. Um, so anyways, it's always easy to mimic. And so we might still have this little magic part of us that um, we come up with new stuff so that's inter that's entertaining if nothing else <laughs> best case scenario we want to be somebody's puppy or cat <laughs> precisely um, i mean yeah <laughs> i mean look at look at look at you can look at a dog and be like oh it lives in your house it doesn't get to go be an animal i'm sure on some level there's some super alpha house pets that want to go out and be a wolf I think the vast majority of them are very content with the food, the water, the 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 sunny spot on the couch, the cold tile floor. And then we just fawn over them and they get to just be dogs and cats. And we're okay. I mean, the vast majority of like social media, we've created this interconnected global brain of information traveling at light speed. And a decent proportion of it is just pictures of cats. Like, right? It's cats, porn, and money. Sometimes some scientific breakthroughs, right? But maybe and puppies. Yeah, right. <laughs> a very small fraction of it is reading an abstract about some new research paper. The majority of it is 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 bikinis and puppies, right? Is I mean, is that a bad life? Aliens come along. They give you three square meals a day, no responsibility. You got to wear a collar, but you, you just get to be this cute thing. I don't know if that's a bad existence. Like some part of me deep down is like, oh, that's like a pathetic end to the human experiment. Another part of me is like, that doesn't sound that bad. I don't, I don't know. Well, there'd always be a rebellion. And of course, the superintelligence would actually foster that because just to keep things interesting. And then um, the, the puppies- Would it be and, like dog and, fighting? <laughs> would, it be, yeah, you know, would it be looked down upon? Would other AI step in and be like, this is a, be like Mike Vick with the dog fighting or something? <laughs> They'd be like, this is immoral. You're pitting humans against one another. And then, th then the the um, the average human that's living the easy life would would be offended and like, hey, don't you guys overthrow the superintelligence? Like, gosh, well, you'd be ruining everything, you know. So yeah, and then that would be vastly entertaining, right? Yeah, and then they would start to breed us, right? You'd <laughs> that's want, easy to do. <laughs> yeah, well, you'd want purebred humans. They would the AI would be so racist in our eyes. Because we look at it like, oh, I want a pure black lab. I want a, I want an original toy poodle. They'd be like, I want a, a blue-eyed, white-skinned Norwegian. Like We'd be like, that's racist. But they look at it as just like, no, they'd celebrate the differences. 
could be, uh, or the, you know, and then the, the mongrels tend to, uh, you know, outcompete though. So, you know, you got to have some, got to keep the mongrels, you know, um, the mix up, the mixed, uh, the mixed uh, genetic heritage. Well, you know, I know we've, we've run on along. I, I have, I have to insert one idea here. Right, hey, but we can keep, we can keep chatting. I, you know, or you I can always break, you can break it into a couple of sections if people get, you know, no, 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 never, never, never cede power to the audience. Never okay. cede power to the right. Never cede power to the, the crowd. You have to control them or they will control you. They are a beastly, wild bunch of, of, of primitive cattle. You have to tell them what they're receiving or they will over. They the inmates will run the asylum. You have to don't if you start to see we shouldn't talk about this. The crazies will come out of the cracks and start dictating that the podcast goes their way. You have to be very disciplined with them. You have to use the bullwhip and keep them in line. Well, thank God you're you you've got that role and the bullwhip. Um, yeah, the, you know, there's some this whole idea of you know we're advancing at a rapid pace, right? A, 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 an accelerated pace. Well, culturally, there's a lot of evidence for that. In other words, it's like the knowledge that we're piling up. Then um, that um, that is evolutionary in its own. You know, in other words, it's on a different track than our genetic um, uh, advancement and our epigenetic, right? Because we have two two ways to pass on, um, yeah, beneficial, you know, variants, right? The epigenetics is much faster. Like a, a, a mother can pass on epigenetic benefits to the child, and you, you know, where messing with the, you know, the the genetic material takes, you know, generations. So our cultural advancements are even faster. So this idea that we could advance to the point where we're not going to repeat the mistakes that bring down civilizations, it's, it's possible, I think, in a relatively short period of time, because our, the timeline of our cultural advancement lags the technology that we're talking about, but it, it, it has the potential to speed up, kind of catch up. Mm. And we, we, we could, in fact, have a cultural, um, singularity where we say let's do the things that keep the renaissance going and and we just um limit the things that that destroy you know those periods of of rapid uh, of growth and uh, innovation and you know and and spreading of equality through ideas that produce more benefits for of the entire human populace right as opposed to just benefiting you know a few people at the top so i mean why couldn't that happen? Can you separate them though? It's you, you can't have up without down. I don't well, I don't think you can keep a renaissance going without having horribly destructive periods in between. Right? I mean that may be true and then you engineer those to be not so bad. But then your renaissance won't be as great. <laughs> I, well, that could very well be. Yeah. I actually have like my own running theory based on nothing, but I like it. Um, and it's about that sort of engineering. And there's some, I don't know who released it, or DARPA, I don't know, or just some idiot on Reddit. But it's basically like, we, we, without the Cold War, in 2020, we would have been at the year 2000 technologically, right? We would have had the first iPod in 2020. Instead, we got it 20 years prior. And that came because of the 
the pace of advancement during the Cold War, which was based on fear and wanting to kill the other guy. It's a tight rope that can accelerate technological advancement. Incentive works well. Fear of death works even better. But there's a fine line, right? Because in a Cold War, if you mess up, it's not, oh, well, somebody got invaded. The Earth is an irradiated ember. It's the end. But if you can keep it from going nuclear in, you know, in 24 years, 1945 to 1969, you can go from prop-driven fighter uh, fighter planes to walking on the moon. You, you can get going pretty fast. The trade-off is if, is if you mess up, it's much like walking on a tightrope between skyscrapers. It's much more exhilarating than walking over a pool. The downside is, is if you fall, you're dead. I was thinking that if there are technocratic controllers guiding human civilization, or even if it's AI, they might be trying to needle us into another Cold War to jack up the rate of acceleration. They might be looking at the difference between 1991 and now being like, man, it's really slowed down since the Cold War. You don't have that same oomph when you're fighting the Taliban, right? You want a near-peer competitor. You want nuclear parity. You want to be worried that the Soviets are going to nuke you from the moon. If you're at the driver's seat of, of human civilization, it might be in your interest to push the world into another Cold War and get 200 years of advancement in 40 years, especially if you have a limited amount of time on this world and you want to see technology increase enough to accelerate your own longevity. You might want, you might want CRISPR technology to increase a thousandfold so that you can live longer. But you're not going to get it from the free market. You might only get it if China and America are at each other's throats for half a century. That might be, they might be engineering that. If, if I'm just, remove yourself from it and look at if you wanted technology to accelerate faster. Or better yet, if there's an AI that wanted technology to accelerate faster because that's increasing its own fertile ground to become more powerful. And if you were planning on getting rid of humans anyway, just look at it like game theory. They might be thinking, okay, I'm going to kill all 8 billion humans. They're a nuisance. I just want to, I think what Kurzweil calls it is bootstrapping. I'm going to design, if I'm an AI, I'm going to design a smarter AI so that AI can design a smarter AI and we can do it at ever faster uh, or ever smaller periods of time. If you're going to get rid of humans anyway, you might also look at it. If you're an AI that's that's smarter than a single human, but maybe not smarter than every human combined. If you're a, a, a capitalist AI, you'd be like, wait, we can still get something out of this. There's 8 billion humans with 
somewhat operating biological computers in their heads. Instead of throwing them, instead of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, why don't I see what what innovation they can come up with when they're backed against the wall? You might pit them at each other and try to squeeze the last little bit of innovation out of them before you wipe them out. Or it might just be entertainment. That might just go, dude, the Cold War was the best season of humans yet. It was so much better. I don't know, but it seems like that's when we, kind of what you said at the beginning of this podcast, is that's when we create our best. Do it better, faster, cheaper, more resilience. Is when Adversity, yeah. It's when you're up against imminent annihilation. I don't know. The Cold War might have been our, that might be what they want, is when every human is under the threat of constant death. Which is which is a horrifying reality. I don't really so, know where I'm going with this, but well, I think that's a, no, I think that's a great idea. And so let's take it and say the so let's say the the AI invents um, evidence of UFOs, right? That 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 can be verified by anybody, and it's like and and they are out to kill us. So um, so that would be ideal is to create an um, interplanetary threat that would be really hard to um, overcome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was Reagan's whole thing, right? Yeah. I mean, I I often wonder like how humanity would come together in the face of an alien invasion. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, I also have to bring up um, Leonardo da Vinci at this point and um, uh, Machiavelli. Uh, they were both um, in the Italian Renaissance, right? They knew each other. Uh, Machiavelli was younger, and he but he traveled with um, Leonardo. And Leonardo was basically selling his um, art and his ideas and stuff. That was his living between these warring city states. And so, um, or competing, not necessarily, they, they occasionally had combat, but mostly it was, you know, uh, just jostling for competitive advantage, right? In trade and arts and um, prestige, you know, this kind of stuff, which, you know, humans love all that stuff, status, prestige. I mean, we can, I mean, part of the whole, you know, as you say, the Apollo program was really about prestige. We're, we're going to beat you to the moon. And that means we're superior. We didn't have to, you know, um, destroy anything. We, we were gaining prestige, right? So we could have a smaller scale of what you're describing. We could go back to a period of warring city states and get the same result. Um, because that just that the competition is localized, but um, still it, to the person like Leonardo and Machiavelli, who are you know going between these things, trying to get the best deal for themselves, it doesn't matter whether it's a global empire that's competing or you know some city that twenty miles away. You know, so um, I'm just pointing out there's another model to get the yes. same result that you describe, and I think um, and 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 really, why did the Renaissance occur in southern France and um, and Italy? Why did why did it get going so fast and create such um, accomplishments and you can say well there's two things one is those all those city states were jostling for power and and competing with each other and there was this ferment and then they rediscovered all this great stuff um that the greeks and romans had um had um invented and 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 built and and they discovered the texts and they got translated into the modern languages and it was all like it was kind of like just for them it was like finding 
the the plans the aliens used to build like yeah. intergalactic travel yeah i think terence mckenna he talked about it he called it the archaic revival yeah it's, he was like a bunch of invest a bunch of a what did he say excuse me he goes <clears throat> he goes 500 years ago a bunch of italian investment bankers looked at the world decided they didn't uh they didn't like the way it was going and so they went 2000 years into the past until they found a model that they could hang their hat on it didn't arise like the, the blueprints were there yeah the ufo blueprint was you know it's buried in the sand and we found <laughs> you know we find the blueprints it'd be like finding the rosetta stone but it has you know the instructions for how to make a cold fusion reactor but then you gotta think in between the when those first ideas first arose when the ufo blueprints were created and buried there's a long time where those weren't they weren't considered by virtue of the fact that they weren't implemented so there's a long time where people thought things were going one way and then it was all just completely thrown out the window the entire research paper was just crumbled up and thrown in the fire forget all of your typos and all of your notes and all of your and the whole thing is we're doing something else like and then they just reached back in time and hung their hat on on the renaissance or on on those old models which became the renaissance so it's kind of funny to think about now is like we might be leading up to some moment where in 2300 they reach back into whatever time and use some old model and there's another renaissance which is kind of hilarious because then it means everything we're doing right now is utterly meaningless <laughs> it is it is all of our ideas and philosophies of of capitalism and social welfare and a military state and free it could all be nothing it could be the homework that's just thrown in the fire that's that's not not funny <laughs> like of all these grandiose hey no it's out screw it just forget it all so we're not gonna yeah. keep doing this feudal warlord and castles and no 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 no, no. we're gonna we're gonna do this idea of democracy we found these old blueprints two thousand years ago drop everything we're doing something else now and yeah. it's like oh like that that is kind of funny <laughs> it is and yet it happened exactly like we're talking that's exactly and, what happened and and yeah. why did it happen because they didn't like the way the world was going i don't think a whole lot of people are particularly thrilled with our current <laughs> our current planetary uh position yeah i think this could all be thrown out the window which yeah there's some like zen ego annihilation there to realize that everything you're working towards could truly just be a and throw it out it means nothing absolutely nothing yeah yeah we 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 could basically we're we're like we're talking about like the guy that supposedly followed the roman emperor when he came back to go through rome with a parade for all the heathens he conquered and the guy is like hey you're not so great pal you <laughs> know and so that hubris, you know, I, I think you're right. It is funny if, if our, our hubris is so vast 
and yet it's not really recognized. You know, we really think, you know, we're um, the most advanced civilization and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, um, and, but as you say, is it really benefiting most of humanity? Is it, would, would everybody say, oh no, let's keep what we have. It's so wonderful. Or would they go, hey man, I'm ready for a new system. Yeah, you can keep your feudal lords and all that stuff. I'm ready for something else. Do you think any, <clears throat> any of this has, is is tied into to ever increasing i guess respectable ufo sightings i love ufos i love everything about ufo culture but it is moving from like the crazy guy talking about the flying saucers to like the navy and the pentagon releasing like FLIR camera footage of objects mm -hmm. setting up, you know, UAPs and ATIP and OSAP and whatever the hell they're doing. I wonder what that is. Is it, is it actual alien contact? Is it our own technology? Is the whole thing a PSYOP? Whatever it is, it's like, a, it's a fascinating variable that's being inserted into this system of systems absolutely that's the minimum um the minimum description it's the it. bare minimum description it's like saying what happened on 9 11 a whole lot like yeah it's i think as brian reagan said uh uh one thing led to another he goes that's the laziest writing ever one thing led to another he's like it's fine in anything else but if you ever read in a history book one thing led to another because no you're your job is to describe what things led to what things. You know, think if somebody asked you how World War II, what what happened in the early 20th century? Well, a disgruntled World War I veteran applied to art school. One thing led to another, and we dropped two atomic bombs on the sovereign nation of Japan. It's like, no, 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 no. There is something in between. Are we inserting some new variable? into the guiding of human evolution. But why is it UFO? It almost seems to be the deus ex machina. Once you introduce UFOs and alien technology, it's almost a way to like money laundering. You're sort of opening this possibility for a new era of human civilization. You can it's a blank check. You almost don't have to imagine it. Like right now, if you said, well, how are we going to increase the wealth of every person on earth? You say, well, we're trying to make breakthroughs with fusion and, you know, they're still using X number of kilowatts of power per person and vertical farms, but you can only get so far versus it's almost cheap writing. If you go, well, you're not considering the fact that in 2023 is when they they started reverse engineering the UFO. That just opens the whole, that opens the Pandora's box to if, if you said on January 6, 2023, the Pentagon came out and said, here's the UFO. We're now working with every government on the earth to, to reverse engineer it because it, it's accessing some sub-quantum energy. All of your prior predictions for what 2023 and the rest of the decade was going to look like goes completely out the window. 
you're now thinking of anything and everything. Elon Musk wanting to go to Mars is now seen as not thinking big enough, right? Like if you go back and look to like 1950s and 1960s sci-fi writing, you wonder like, where did that imagination come from? And it's because it went from World War II ending with the splitting of the A-bomb or the splitting of the, the atom. Anything seems possible versus now we're very timid in our, in our imagination. It's, well, is there going to be enough food? Are the supply lines going to last? What if there's another pandemic? Maybe we need that next big thing to open the possibilities of, well, what's next? I don't know what that would be. And again, I don't really know where I'm going with this rant, but I don't know. Well, I am older than you, and I want I hope, nonsense. I hope that the um, the UFO mystery, whatever those uh, the source is, is revealed in my lifetime because I really want to know. You know, I've been watching this stuff, um, you know, for decades, and so it's like um, wh- whatever the as you say, whether it's a, a, a psyops or whether it's um, some Earth technology or or it is in fact, you know extraterrestrial uh be great to know and i it would be and i i just love the way that you've um, encapsulated our whole discussion in, a, in my view <clears throat> into something arises which is unexpected which um changes the um whole um direction of 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 human endeavor and history and that kind of stuff happens all the time and we're we've been basically discussing various uh, you know, examples of that. And so it's like, well, yeah, we, we really need that. We do, because I think we, we, we've, we're running out of rope here on the model that we've been using. And so let's hope it, it has a source. And if it's uh, humanity, that's great. If it's extraterrestrials, hey, that's even more interesting. And I, I, I'm, if, if nothing else, I hope we entertain them. And um, <laughs> that may be why they've been monitoring us, you know, that somebody's making a ton of money um back on you know um uh you know um I, i'm thinking of um what's the nearest uh alpha centuri or whatever yeah yeah, yeah um and because you know the, the, the human channel is just kicking butt you know and it's like the most entertaining stuff out there is the what's happening on earth <laughs> you know would be terrifying is if they got here and they thought we were the advanced civilization. <laughs> they were like, we are, we have put all of our, we have a global cooperative effort to build this ship to reach you guys four light years away. You have all the answers. And we're looking at them going, oh, f- <laughs> fuck. <laughs> we thought y'all were the, oh no, man. Right, we always expect that the alien, they'll, have, they'll either kill us or they'll give us God tier technology. How terrifying would it be if they showed up? like the one surviving warrior of a battle. And they're like, have you guys figured out fusion? And we're like, oh, no, (laughs) no, man. They're actually burning firewood in France right now. Like we thought y'all, oh no, (laughs) no, not at all, man. That might be it. Yeah, that, that could be it. And their ship is rusty. Oh yeah, and, you know, there's some duct tape or equivalent, you know, kind of, you know, holding their yeah, propulsion system. <laughs> so, they come to us yeah. and they're like advanced life finally, and we're like, oh, <laughs> no man, 
no, not at all. Yeah. That, that I don't know. That that would be great because they they'd say, look at we've been monitoring all your puppies and kittens stuff. You guys have to just have it totally together to be blowing that much resources on <laughs> puppies and kittens. I mean, if you guys take use such a proportion of your global internet brain on pornography, surely you've mastered every surely the rest of your house is in order. We're like, uh uh, don't no, 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 not actually it's the exact opposite. It's because this system is so utterly, hopelessly destined for collapse. We escape into our phones every evening and look at cat memes. This is our, this is our opiate. This is, it's not fentanyl, it's cat memes. Oh, God. Oh, well, I, I think that that's, I, I don't think we can top this for an ending. Yeah, honestly. I think, uh, should, we, should we, I think that's a natural capping. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. Everything is everything's and, over. And and I'm laughing so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Why, well, man, that's that's a sign of a of a good ending is if it ends with UFOs or laughing. I, I feel like that is the natural. That is the natural. But just real quick, I, I do kind of want to go back to something you said just to, as a good ending is. You said it well, we're running out of rope for this this system it can only go one of two directions it either seems like a global reset and not in some davos klaus schwab but it being nuclear holocaust or an asteroid or god from the machine ai you know from a standpoint of a writer if you're writing human history You've written yourself into a corner. You don't know how you're getting out of this. You would have to use either the end of the world from an asteroid or from nuclear war or a sort of a way to almost wash the sins of your problems. And that's God tier AI because now you no longer need to think. You go, oh, it's just smarter than us. So of course we wouldn't come up with these solutions because it's smarter than us. Or it's AI, or uh, sorry, or it's a UFO. They're from somewhere else with better technology. The end. It's introducing a new character in, in the ninth season. It's like, wait, wait, what? And it's like, yeah, no, it's the right the end of Saving Private Ryan, where he's like shooting the tank with the gun, and then for the first time in the movie, airplanes come and bombs the tank, and it's where was that the last hour and a half? And it's there are planes now, and it's like, oh come on, it's such BS. Like that's what it. That's what it is, is we're running out of rope. And my imagination says that we're either going off the cliff, human-made nuclear war, or just natural asteroid, or some new heroic blank check appears that we can launder everything through. Oh, it's just God-tier AI. The end. Or it's aliens, and they've given us the new tech. The end. And it just solves all the problems. I don't really. I aside from that, I don't really. Yeah, I think we're running out of rope. I don't know. Or we uncover the the Rosetta Stone. There's always that, you know. Or What's yeah, that thing in the sand. Yeah. Yeah. What is? Isn't that what? That's what Bob Lazar said, though, right? Do you ever you follow Bob Lazar? You know, the UFO guy. Oh, 
No, I don't. He was on Rogan. He's the guy that said he worked at Area 51. Um, He did a whole podcast on Joe Rogan. But he said one of he he claims to have worked on a UFO and he's kind of like the most credible, whatever. He says that the US military has has nine UFOs in their in their possession. He doesn't know where they got them. It's all compartmentalized. But he said one of them came from an archaeological dig. Now, granted, this is all you have to accept just the premise of that this guy's telling the truth, right? I mean it, it, but he said one of them comes came from an archaeological dig, and it's ancient. I don't. It, that might be it. I don't know. I don't really care anymore. Like I gotta be honest. I think I think you have the right move. Like just move to Hawaii. <laughs> I'm, I'm. I've been thinking that during this podcast. I'm like, why am I trying to figure this shit out? Why don't I just move to Hawaii? That's the, like, I don't care what happens. Unplug, move to Hawaii. I think that's what the answer is. I think you figured it out. Terrence McKenna moved to Hawaii. Richard Alpert, Ram Dass, he moved to Hawaii. There are these philosophers that through psychedelic experience and meditation finally conclude that it's all meaningless. They all moved to Hawaii. I feel like that's, that's the ending. Yeah. And if it's, it's kind of expensive here. So then you can, you know, there's other places that are nice around the world that, that are also have, you know, good weather and stuff like that. So yeah, there's, there's opportunities out there. Well, no, I think it all justifies itself. It's once you've understood none of it means anything, then neither do expenses because money's fake. I think Hawaii is where you, where you go when you just, just, you just boiled off normal philosophy. You're just like, no, screw it. It doesn't matter. Shut up. It's paradise. But how am I? Shut up. It's paradise. It's over. What am I doing? I'm trying to build a podcast and lose weight and save money. What am I doing? I shouldn't move to Hawaii. I'm moving in with you, Mr. Smith. <laughs> Thank you for your invitation. I will happily accept it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a workshop down below with some tools and stuff. But, you know, we, we can, you know. I'm talking about work. Yeah, yeah. Who cares? Just, just, just shut up. It's time. What are you going to do at this? Shut up. I don't care. It's, Go out to Hawaii. Fuck do I care? What's going to happen in Ukraine? I don't care. I'm done. <laughs> Unplug it all. Move to Hawaii in a Faraday cage so you can't access the internet. That's happiness. I think so. All right, all man. Right, well, man. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. And um, I hope the audience is as entertained as us. I know we're not supposed to care about them, but no, anyways. don't care about them. Never, never see control. They are, they are the beasts. They, they, the horses pull the chariot. You don't ask the horses what they want. You just keep whipping them. <laughs> just never cede control. Um, as you can tell, there's truly no uh, direction for better or worse to this podcast. <laughs> it can start with the fourth turning and end with UFOs in Hawaii. But that's what I like about it. And uh, I'd love to have you on again here. I'd love to have you on here again sometime. Maybe we'll do a little more of a structured discussion. But uh or maybe not, because this was this was terrific, right? I mean, who so could predict, right? I mean, that's yeah. what I'm saying. It's so much fun. People are like, yeah. so what are you? What are your notes? What are your talking points for the podcast? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what the what the hell you're talking. I I take the dice and just roll it. What what podcast? To, I don't know. I hope the person has as good of a sense of humor as I do. That's really it. I hope I don't offend anybody. That's the worst is when someone's like, can you give me a series of talking points? I'm like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
that okay was fun, man well thank you so much for coming on here um any links you want me to put in the description social media website blog uh, I, yeah just of two minds.com people okay. can navigate there and fool around find something all right and just i don't know ufos yeah all right okay thank you so much man let's definitely do it again i'll send you this episode when it's up and uh thank you so much with uh for your patience and sense of humor oh yeah and i'll i'll promote it because it's um it's it's actually there's a lot of great stuff in what we talked about you know i mean you know so yeah thank you so much and i look forward to having another discussion Hell yeah, man. Thank you so much. Enjoy your weather as it is. It's, uh, let's see, it's 31 degrees and snowing here. So I'm more and more realizing what in God's name am I doing with my life? I need to be in a flower shirt out in Hawaii. That's, that's enlightenment. All right, man.